Hey folks, this is Scott with Leading Edge Archery, and uh, um, thanks for everybody listening. We got some really good feedback from y'all, and um, we're pretty excited about moving forward with this. So actually, we're going to roll this out weekly, I think we decided, right guys? Uh, right now, yeah. Yeah, we're going to go weekly. Um, you know, you guys have given us some inspiration, and I think, uh, like I said, the feedback's been great, so we're going to overload you with information and uh and see how you like it, and then we may, you know, look at maybe backing off a little bit as we get on. We don't want to cover... We can cover a lot of topics, a lot of discussions. So either way, I think today we've talked a little bit and we're going to cover indoor archery. It is the season for sure. We've got some big, big major tournaments coming up in the next 60 days. So some of you may be getting ready and prepared. And if not, we're going to talk about how to get into indoor archery also. And uh, kind of let Bridger talk about him from a professional level, what he does, how he sets up a bow. Um, I'm going to talk about myself at the amateur side. And then Jason's going to talk about para. Um, how he sets his bow up and what he does to prepare and get ready for tournaments and stuff like that. Um, but I'm going to start off with a little story because Bridger says, hey, you got to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make it light, you know. So I was, I had to go get a, a jacket for a, an event I got to go to tomorrow for uh, Christmas. And I went to Bell's Outlet and they're closing. They're, everything's like 50% off. Had no idea. And um, pick out a shirt. It takes me about five minutes because I'm trying to get back to so we can get the uh, podcast going. So I'm in a hurry. As opposed to normally <laughs> normally when Scott goes out to run a quick errand, and that's heavily quotated, uh, he'll leave you know, he'll leave the shop here and have something to do and about three hours later he comes rolling <laughs> back in after all he was gonna do was run down the road to run down the road to Canes or to Walmart or H E B to get mm. some groceries or something to eat. But yeah. so the fact that he showed up only what twenty you don't take like twenty, twenty five minutes. Yeah, 20. Uh, we were all of us were impressed. Yeah. Well, it could have been a lot shorter than that. Because I go pick out, I pick out this darn shirt, and I really liked it. I thought, okay, it's going to be cool. 50% off is going to be really cheap. I'm walking to the cash register, and this lady is waiting on me, open arms. There's no one in line. And then coming from across the aisle is a sweet little old lady with a cart full of stuff. She makes eye contact with me, and I'm not kidding, turned on the jets. And and looked right at me and beat me to the register. I didn't care, you know, ladies first. I'm good with that. But she's got like 25 items and is making this poor lady behind the register scan every item and then put the discount and let her know how much it is. And then she's saying yes or no to every item. I'm getting a little frustrated. I'm still not bad. I'm going, okay, you know, just be patient. Um, <laughs> she gets done and then proceeds to pull out and does her purchase with a check. Priceless. Who does that? This is the 21st century. I mean, come on, we don't do checks anymore, right? I don't think I've written a check at a store since 2005. You know what's funny? I told Adam one day to write a check for a customer, and he literally did not know how to do it. I think I've written like two checks my entire life. Yeah. It's just a lost art. And Adam's what, 20? Adam's 20. Yeah. And he had no idea. I had to explain to him how to write a check. It's kind of amazing. So, yeah, at that point, I was ready to blow a gasket. But I, I don't like writing checks because I'm always nervous I'm going to spell the, the letter wrong. <laughs> Or spell the number wrong, like when you actually have to write out the right. write out the actual number. Yeah, it's like wait, oh, how do you spell eight? <laughs> <laughs> how 
it's just a button you push now. I, <laughs> yeah. You know, I told I told Adam today he was writing something on the board. It's a lot different when you're writing something and you don't have an automatic spell corrector. I, everything looks wrong. Well, yeah. No matter, no matter what word you write, it always looks incorrect. Yeah. yeah. yeah when absolutely. I'm typing something on my phone, my iPhone automatically corrects yeah, it. Just it. fixes it. Well, the crazier part is, is thank goodness the poor lady behind the cash register. She was, she was, you know, up there in age a little bit. But I noticed also she had written everything in cursive, and you just don't see that anymore. I mean, oh no, her, there, I know, know kids that can't read cursive. No, her handwriting was impeccable, but it was all cursive. And I mean, looked at it, and I, it ran through my head. I was like, wow, if that was a, a millennial behind the cash register, she probably would have been lost. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was pretty funny, pretty good experience though. But Bridger says, hey, you got to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> he was it telling was a story, funny. and I, I just kept yelling at him to stop talking. Yeah, yeah. we were getting ready to record. Good there story. Go. That so is anyways. an interesting night. An interesting Friday night in Bernie, Texas. Yeah, exactly. That's what happens in the big town of Bernie. So, anyways, um, we're going to talk about indoor archery. So, you know, I'm going to turn this mic over, I think, and we'll, you know, jump in and comment when appropriate. But, you know, talk about how to get into the sport of indoor archery. I think it's probably the easiest discipline to start out in. I think we, I advise most archers beginning, hey, you know, go to indoor, learn how to shoot it. It's 20 yards. It's close. Um, at, at least from a, a – a target perspective because yeah. yeah. the amount of tournaments you can go to that have uh, different levels of archery within them as far as talent ability uh number of shooters i mean every every club if they have a 20 yard indoor range is hosting usually one to two tournaments a week or right. excuse me one to two tournaments right. a month um a lot of shops like ours will have a, a league night um you know and i mean heck we our league, we you can win sixty bucks for only yeah. throwing ten dollars down. So, um, no, it's a good way to to get to know people in your shop in your area, and a really good way to kind of start to uh, move into the national scene stuff. If that's yeah. what you're interested and, in doing. And honestly, for me, I have a saying. Everybody that knows me, um, I'm a firm believer that um, uh, champions are made in indoor archery. It's my opinion, and the reason it is is because it gives you an ability, a chance. To work on your shot process yeah. multiple times in a tournament type venue, and um, you know, and it's it's just great practice. Well, and from the professional side, it's the one venue where, regardless of what uh, facet of archery you excel at, ninety nine percent of the professional ranks out there are at an indoor archery tournament. I mean, the easiest one to look at is the World Archery Festival in Vegas, which. It's obviously the easiest because it's the biggest tournament on the planet. But, you know, you see everybody from, you know, a lot of the European guys where they're only exposed to uh, world archery style tournaments where, you know, for compound you're shooting 50 meters, recurve you're shooting right. 70 meters, um, and a little bit of the feet of field type stuff. Um, and then you come over here to the States, you have everybody that shoots all the outdoor USA stuff, all the outdoor NFAA, as well as everyone that shoots – the IBOs, ASAs, regardless of what your favorite venue to shoot archery is, everybody's at those events yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's, it's kind of cool to, you know, it's one of the few sports out there that you can actually go and, and really get close and, and rub elbows with some of the top yeah. archers on the planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of well, cool. And, and, I mean, it makes you a better shooter too once you figure, yeah. out, figure out how to do it. I know uh, I shot with Joseph Goza, who's a big, huge 3D archer, has been around for a lot of years shooting. Um but only recently, probably the last three or four years, he started getting serious with indoor. And 
Uh, I think I shot with him at Indoor Nationals, either Indoor Nationals or Vegas last year. And I was sitting there talking to him a little bit about it, and he's like, man, I I just never gave Indoor that much of a chance because everybody talks about how boring it is. Yeah. And he he said, you know, I'm the last couple of years I really decided to try and put some time into it. And for him, it's helped him a ton with his ASA stuff. And he's, along with that, just fell in love with shooting indoor archery. Yeah, yeah. I know uh, it was last year, the year before, he went and shot the winter, IBO winter uh, nationals mm -hmm. or spring or either winter or spring nationals uh, and then brought the same exact bow to the NFA indoor nationals in Cincinnati and shot 120 X's, shot a perfect score and right. made the shoot off with yeah. it with the same bow. <laughs> And for him, he's like, you know, I'll still shoot my 3D bow, but, you know, instead of having four months off where, you know, I just have intermediate practice, now I have something to shoot for the entire time while I'm still able to learn my 3D bow, um, I can still get really good practice. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's definitely the way to start, I think, in, to get into sport if you're looking at doing it on a competitive level. And, um, you know, every, like Bridger said, every club has um, a 20-yard indoor range. Most shop, archery shops do. Uh, we're lucky here in Texas. We've got what's called the Shoot Your Way Across Texas series, and there's pretty much probably three to five archery indoor archery tournaments that are affiliated with the NFAA every weekend starting mm -hmm. in October through uh, end of February. So it's it's kind of cool. I, so I'm going to kind of turn it over. We're going to talk about, you know, the bow is definitely different. I think the setup is different than when you go outside. And I'm going to let Bridger talk about on the professional side what he does. Um, and then, like I said, we'll kind of go around the room and, and talk about our, what we do independently. It's not necessarily the right way, the wrong way. There is no, I, I think, writing on the wall that says it has to be this way. It's more of experimentation with you, the archer, to find out what's going to work best for you. So, Bridge, once you talk about it, what do you, what do, yeah, you do? I mean, How do you do it? For most people, and myself included, the biggest change you run, run into when you're going to indoor is everybody and their brother sh is shooting a fat shaft or a large diameter arrow, like either a 23, 25, 26, or 27. Um, I shoot the Easton 27-12s. Um, I actually haven't shot aluminum for, heck, probably six or seven years. So I have a little bit of a learning curve this year going back to that. But, um, I mean, in the past, everybody's switching to a bigger arrow, kind of the name of the game for some guys, um, and a lot of it depends on who you talk to, um, is slowing the bow down, trying to get the arrow to be moving slower because you are only shooting 20 yards. Right. Um, and having it in the air a little bit longer with a lower foot per second gives it more time to stabilize while it's flying down, you know, while it's flying down the lane. That's why you'll see a lot of guys shooting super heavy point weight, uh, a super heavy arrow and large, you know, big four or five inch feathers or uh, four or five inch veins yeah. too even. you know and that's, there's a misconception i think with that because i hear a lot of customers or a lot of archers that are getting into it they're they you know i need my bow at 280 feet a second <laughs> i mm -hmm. need it fast it's gotta be fast and they think that the speed will help get the arrow there and not have their their imperfections in their shot process yeah. be, and i think it's wrong correct yeah i mean i see the merit behind it um there are some bows that just shoot better when they're you know pushing Maxed the limits out. as far yeah. as speed goes right. um I know for me, like when I shot that uh, Matthews Halon X comp, that bow, the faster I shot it, the better it shot. Right. So, like, I think when I finally had that thing halfway dialed in for indoor, that first year I shot it, I went to Indoor National shooting, I was shooting Carbon Express at the time, shooting CXL Pros, 250s with like a 100 grain point. I mean, I was shooting a 3D arrow, shooting 200 and 
80 something feet per second, I think. So, but for that bow, that's just what it wanted to shoot. Right. Um, <clears throat> but the cool thing about running these large diameter arrows, um, is they usually are super heavy spine. So you get to the point where you literally cannot break the spine of the arrow down. Right. You know, uh, a, a, the best example, and Tim will always, Tim Gillingham will always say it too. Like, <laughs> you can never have an arrow that's too stiff uh, and, for and a That's for another bow. episode. <laughs> Whether you buy into that or not, um, the beauty, I mean, you could take a bow and tune a 50 pound bow with a 100 spine arrow and make it shoot clean through paper so the arrow flies straight. Absolutely. Um, but because of that, you know, you can sit there and stack weight in the front, change the length of the arrow a little bit. Um, and kind of really fine tune the bow speed wise, yeah. really to find where the bow wants to shoot for a sweet spot on that with between arrow weight, draw weight and all that. And, you know, I find myself doing that a lot here. I'll take and, you know, take a quarter turn off my limb bolts or put a quarter turn in, um, you know, put 20 grains in the front of the arrow, pull 20 grains out, you know, really play around with everything. And the nice thing is at 20 yards, you're not ever worried about making a big change. And missing your target bail and losing a right. losing a forty dollar arrow behind the target, <laughs> so um, it gives you a little bit more opportunity to play with all your setups. Right, and you it, know, and I think I I talked with Jesse Broadwater about this, and I know that he does a lot of what you're just talking about, and where he is quarter turn here, quarter turn there, actually even messing with draw length quarter inches at a mm-hmm. time, and really even sometimes shooting different arrows because he wants to shoot the most forgiving arrow that's going to hit behind the pin right. the most consistent. And people don't realize, but those quarter turns, those small minor adjustments mean big time changes down the Yeah. Range. Well, and that's one thing that's funny. You said, like, every, a lot of times, like, somebody will have a certain arrow that they're shooting outdoors. Like, Eason has the Pro Tours. Carbon Express has right. the Nano Nano Pros. You'll see a lot of similarities in, at least in the Pro ranks, in everybody's arrow setup. Right. Um you know, even dumping into 3D. Uh, I shot the Tank 25s last year. I shot them cut to the rest with 120 grains up front. About everybody shot that arrow cut to the rest with 120 or 140 grains up front. Right. But then you switch gears, we come inside. I'm shooting a 29-inch 27-12 with 250 up front. You know, six or seven years ago when I was shooting them, I was shooting a 32-inch arrow with 250 yeah, up front. full length. Yeah, Rio shoots a very long arrow with a lot of weight up front. Um Tate Morgan cuts his down. He's running fairly lightweight point. Uh, George Riles, a lot of his kids, he's running, you know, like a 2315 and a lot of them and only putting 100, 120 to 150 grains in the front. Right. Like everybody's got this different setup. Yeah. Um, and being able to tune everything, kind of play with a lot of different setups, allows you to learn a lot about the bow too, especially as a beginner. I mean, that's how I learned how to do everything. You know, I would literally just, take the bow apart, turn something, see what it did, turn something else, see what that did, and kind of take notes and figure out what happened to the bow when I would do certain things, whether it be to the arrow, to the arrow rest, uh, to my knocking point, to the limb, to, you know, changing the limb bolts, to change the draw weight, holding weight, all that stuff. Right. So, You know, and also, I know you do this, I think, at times. I know we used to do it back in the day. Um, we would actually tiller-tune our bows. And mm-hmm. then when I say tiller-tune, I mean taking them out of tiller. Yeah, um, that, you know, increase poundage in the lower limb, decrease in the sure. top limb to create lift. You know, because the the name of the game in, in indoor, and if you get a chance to shoot it, is being able to hold that pin as steady as you can under duress and breaking a clean shot. Um, you don't have environmental factors really to deal with, other than maybe lighting. 
That's um, yeah. That's really the only yeah. only thing that changes from one right. venue to the next. You know, maybe that's a good segue. Why don't you talk about maybe because a lot of guys, I think, there's a lot of schools of thought on you know, do I shoot fiber pin or do I shoot dots? Um, power of lenses, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, I mean, a lot of that is going to be personal preference, but um, I know for me, I I shoot almost the same setup outdoors as I do inside. Um, the only thing I change is I pull my clarifier out because I'm not worried about the target being clear. And then I put a little bit larger dot in. So I go from a one millimeter dot outside to two millimeter dot inside. But I still shoot a four power lens, still shoot the same scope housing, still shoot the same uh, peep aperture. On I shoot that little, uh, the specialty podium peep. So even if I did want to change it, it wouldn't take very long, but I, right. I leave everything, everything the same. Um, but I know uh, a lot of guys will consider indoor to be more of a, a passive shot. Like you said, trying to hold that pin in the middle Correct. and generally you're going to be more accurate or Correct. at least you'll be able to hold steadier with that more of a passive shot, focusing on breaking a clean shot in the back end as opposed to, you know, really power in the bow into the middle. Correct. Um, so a lot of guys will drop down a little bit and either drop down in scope power, um, or run a bigger dot as well. So, yeah, it's funny you say that because I know I myself, I run a pretty big dot. I On a Vegas face, or I want to cover most of my X. Mm-hmm. On, a, on an NFAA face, I'll cover all the white, actually. Yep. So I'll shoot a really big dot. I call it um, – it's, it's a more relaxed shot because I'm not trying mm-hmm. to put that little bitty dot in the middle there's, of the X. There's a lot it. less perceived movement Correct. When, you, Correct. when you go that direction. Yeah. And, you, you know, there's, a, there's another school of thought that, it, you know, it keeps you from fine-tuning your aim. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know it for me, it makes it a much more relaxed process because I'm, I've just got to make the white disappear. And as long as I don't see it, <laughs> right. I'm good. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just, you know, so is there a reason why? Cause I think a lot of indoor archers professionally, and I think the guys that are serious uh, on the amateur ranks are shooting more dots, stick on dots than they are fiber. What, what's your take on that? I think it's just easier to control the dot size you have. I mean, it's obviously it's way easier to just peel a sticker off your lens and put a different, you know, put a bigger or smaller one on there. Uh, than it is to, you know, say you're shooting one of the shrewd housings to buy a whole new pin assembly, a bunch of different fiber, and then I've got giant fingers, so me trying to sit there and shove a fiber through that damn <laughs> uh, fiber post is a pain yeah. in the butt. Right. And well, then and then, you're, then you only got 10, 15, and 19, and 29, basically, to do yeah. work with. Yeah, I mean, for standard fiber, yeah, I know yeah. shrewd makes a couple different size, right. oddball sizes on top of that, but even then, you know, a sheet of stickers is a hell of a lot cheaper than. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, like buy a sheet of stickers maybe. for five or ten bucks, yeah. as opposed to spending ten dollars just on a foot long strip of fiber, right. and then thirty dollars on your extra pen and all that. I know what we've done with a lot of our shop shooters here in our store is, uh, I told them to leave their pen, yeah, oh, and yeah. leave their pen in the site because they're used to seeing that post. Exactly. Um, but we would just take their lens and throw a dot on there, yeah. So they still had that somewhat familiar sight picture of having that pin post um but still be able to cover that full cover you know if they right a lot of them were trying to get them to cover the you know like the nine on a vegas face or the white on a uh nfaa face just as kind of a starting point and we can fine tune it from there but i think a lot of guys like that sticker because you can just peel it off and stick right. a new one on so let's talk a little bit about um your rest setup. I mean, do you do anything different with that, or is it pretty just standard? I I run a ten thousandths blade, or you know a ten point uh, zero one zero blade, 
for indoor, outdoor, field, the whole nine yards. Um, some of that's just simplicity, so I don't have to change it. Do you find that the heavy arrow doesn't affect it near as, as much? Or No. I mean, I used to shoot an 8,000 blade gotcha. with a 670 or 700 Jeez. grain uh, 2712. I shot... Uh, For some think, of you folks, that is an extremely heavy that's arrow. That's crazy heavy. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think when I won Indoor Worlds in 2012 in the junior division, that was my first year shooting in the uh, championship division in Vegas as well, but... I, did, I changed absolutely nothing on that bow. I went straight from a 23 series arrow, which you have to shoot for the world archery event and just put on my 27, right. just ran with it. I never didn't change anything. Do you think that most of the pros are doing kind of the same thing? They're not, it's not really overthinking it so much. I or? know that a lot of guys yeah, do. Gotcha. And, you know, and I, the reason I'm asking, I'm kind of getting to a point here that um, I think you'd be surprised if you, when you get to meet some of these pros and you talk with them and you look at their different setups that, um, I can't believe I'm going to say this as a shop owner because I love making money. Um, most of the amateur ranks, we really overthink it. Oh, uh, no question. <laughs> we will we will spend, I know my customers especially, they will spend a lot of money to buy points. Like, oh, mm -hmm. And really the only magic sauce is staying behind the bow. Yeah. Practicing. yeah. So that's uh, interesting. I, I know, uh, heck with that setup, that – when I switched from the 23s to 27s, half the time I didn't even move my sight at all. I wouldn't even have to move my sight. Yeah. And some of that's just a coincidence based on difference in arrow diameter versus arrow weight right. and all that. But Stabilizer is um, the same thing? We used to, you run pretty much the same bar sets? Yeah. Um, if I do anything, I might run a little bit more weight on the back um, just because, I mean, that for a lot of guys you run a little bit more back weight, steadies the bow up a little more allows you to relax in the shot some versus having a lot of front weight, which, you know, sometimes guys want that outside because it forces you to make a little bit more aggressive shot. You right. know, if we're in the wind dealing with that exterior right. elements, yeah, it helps I, you battle I, that yeah, a little bit. And to talk about stabilizers, I mean, we can talk about stabilizer setups probably for another segment because we could talk for hours about that. I mean, there's a lot of different schools of thought on that. Bridger and I even have difference of opinion on that, but that's, that's what makes the sport kind of mm -hmm. cool. We get to experiment with different things. But um, so, I mean, as far as your poundage, I know you drop your poundage down, or do you not? I leave everything the same. Everything the same, no kidding. Because I know me, I'm an old guy at 50. I, I will go down to about 55 pounds, 54. Well, the, my school thought behind it is, okay, I, I'm shooting 60 pounds outside, and I shoot a lot of the world archery and USA archery stuff. I shoot 60 pounds outside, and that's a 72 arrow qualifier. Or even an even better example would be shooting NFAA field, where before they changed the round – for next year, um, you had 100, 112 scoring arrows. Correct. And I'm shooting 60 pounds for that. But why? So why, why would I drop my poundage down for longevity indoors when the longest round I shoot is 60 arrows? Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, I was just curious about that because I think that's another misconception. Well, you know how much, how little you all are changing from, yeah. from well, discipline I mean, to discipline. Most of it's you, just arrow. Correct. Yeah, really. The main thing I change is the arrow and a little bit with my scope. Right. That's cool. Um, what about prep practice for getting ready for an indoor season? I mean, let's you know maybe walk us through what you do. Uh, let's say maybe thirty days before the season actually starts, and then you know how do you prepare for a tournament? And what happens there? Yeah, I mean, everybody has their own school of thought on it. I think more and more people are coming around to that uh, a taper schedule. 
that some guys will use. Um, I know Jake Kaminsky has talked about it a lot on a few podcasts that he's done and the book that he's written. Um, I know when Braden started adopting that from Jake, as him and Jake were close friends, um, Braden started doing that, and it made his tournament scores a lot more consistent to where, you know, like somebody he'll, and even myself, I see myself doing it. I'll show up to a tournament one week and just have a great weekend, have a career day, shoot super well, and then go home, shoot 120 arrows every day, go to the next tournament and just bomb it versus doing kind of a taper schedule like a runner would do where, you know, before the week before the tournament, um, I try and butt my numbers up at the beginning of the week and then I'll slowly come down so that by the time I get to the tournament, I'm starting to spike again. Yeah, you're fresh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't want to sit there and overwork yourself and then get to the tournament and be burnt out. Exactly. And I see it all the time, especially on amateurs. They'll, they'll show up to a tournament and just grind it for like two days. Like they'll show up to Vegas on Wednesday, get in there and shoot 100 arrows on Wednesday <laughs> night after being on a plane all day, getting dehydrated, then showing yeah. up to Vegas where the air's dry. Then they go out and drink a bunch of beer and show back up, wake up at 9 a.m. and go shoot 250 arrows on Thursday. And then they're gassed 100 arrows into their second day of practice. Yeah. Yeah. And then they think they need to fix something because they're shooting bad. You know, So good question there. And I deal with this on some of the kids that I coach. Um, you know, I can think of one specifically. And uh, she thinks she's got to shoot about 200 arrows before she's warm. Like mm-hmm. she'll start her even during a tournament she'll shoot that second half stronger than the first half and this is after she shot 100 arrows you know in practice warming sure up. and i i've always struggled with why is that's happening I mean, what you got an opinion on that or what do you think i mean when you're consistently shooting that much it's just like uh again we'll go back to a runner like a lot of guys when they if they as far as like just people working out that aren't training com- for a competitive race because I find myself doing it on a running side of it when I'm exercising is like the back half of my runs are always better because my body is so used to, you know, I have to hit, you know, five or six miles and your body kind of tapers itself, tries to conserve energy that first half. And then it knows that it's getting ready for go time. So it'll dump on the second half and then you'll do quite well. Um, a lot of that just comes from overshooting really. Because it takes that long for your body to warm up. I mean, you could probably say the same thing about when you're, you know, like this morning we went and lifted weights. Uh, like we were moving pretty good and it took, I mean, I could tell from you, you moving, it took you until we were halfway through, you know, our second set running shoulders for you to to the point where you were finally loosened up great. and ready no, to rock and roll. Yeah, right, without a doubt. So so some of it's just overworking. Um, I mean, if, like I said, if you go out and just grind out 200 arrows a day, your body's going to find a way to conserve itself conserve itself for that first 100 arrows before it starts breaking down. Right, cuz it knows what it's got to do exactly. the next day and the next day mm-hmm. and the next day. And that 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 taper schedule helps avoid that by basically throwing a curveball to your body every time making it think like okay, I'm going to you know, I'm going to go all out or I'm going to have you know, I'm going to be shooting or peaking right. the entire time you're shooting, right. which is what the idea of that taper schedule is. Gotcha. That's great advice. I think it's something that every one of us need to think about. I know most of our kids shooters, they, um, and it's probably partially my fault, but they're running just hundreds of arrows a day. And 
Which, you know, I think there's a difference between running 100 arrows a day and having what I call effective practice, mm-hmm. you know, shooting well, 60 effective I mean, arrows. Shooting, shooting 100 arrows a day is great at the beginning of the season when you're learning a bow, trying to figure out what arrow setup is going to shoot well, what right. poundage, when you're you're trying to build your setup and build your form. But once everything's where it needs to be, and even if it's when you're once you hit that 90% mark and of where everything needs to be and you're getting ready to go to a tournament, you kind of have to switch gears, you know, start with that 200 arrows a day at the beginning of the week. Say your tournament starts on Saturday. Um, for me, like starting on Saturday the week prior, I'm grinding out trying to hit a bunch of arrows to the point where I'm, you know, actually physically tired, you know, through Saturday, Sunday. And then I'll start, you know, I'll just hit my peak number on Monday. So for argument's sake, we'll say it's 250 arrows that day. So I'll get I'll hit my peak number that day and then I'll slowly start backing that number off until a lot of times, like on Friday before a tournament, a lot of times if it's either a close tournament or a little bit smaller one where I'm traveling that day, I won't shoot at all. And if I do shoot any, it's I'll literally go down to the practice range if I have time. I'll shoot three, four, five arrows, depending on what the target face is, to make sure that my equipment's okay and make sure my sight's on, and that's all I'll do. Right. So save it, save it for the save it for when it matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gotcha. That makes sense. Um, that's good. So, what about um, during the tournament? I mean, how do you handle yourself during the tournament? What are the, some of the things that you do to keep your your, your focus, keep yourself fresh? Um, I mean, I, for me, I just try not to change my routine. So, like, I'll, I'll I try and practice in the morning here in the shop before we open up. So, I mean, it's a bad example because I shot poorly there. But the Midwest <laughs> Open, uh, the, you know, last week. At this time, it was last week, but uh, like when I went there again, I traveled on Friday, didn't practice Saturday. I got there, but I I tried to make it so in my shooting time at tournaments where you can decide that. Um, I made my shooting time at eleven thirty because we, I mean, we open the store at ten o'clock. Usually, try and get in here about nine and shoot, you know, shoot a little bit. So my body's kind of used to that schedule. Right, right. Um, I find I see a lot of guys will, you know, some guys like shooting early in the morning. That's great. Time of day, whenever your practice is, the closest you can get to that because your body's used to working at that time. But another thing people do is they they completely change their their sleep schedule and their eating schedule, drinking habits and all that stuff. Right. Um, like I'll see I'll see guys show up to tournaments and they're, you know, they if they drink coffee every morning before they go to work, they show up to a tournament and they they won't drink any caffeine because they don't want to get jittery. Well, right. right. If you drink coffee, you know, 300 20, days out of the year, 300 days out of the year, those <laughs> right. other 65, you're getting a headache and you're getting jitters because your body's craving that supplement because it's what you normally have. Right. That's, um, it's just interesting because I do that exact thing. Yeah. I mean, but why? So I see why do you, why do you change that? If that's something you do every day when you practice, like, why are you changing that routine? Right. You already have the routine set. And anytime you change a routine, your body Reacts starts to react. Yeah, it's going to react differently. Without a doubt. So, yeah, I don't. I, I mean, sometimes, like with pros, if we're traveling to, you know, if you're on the East Coast and you travel to, you know, like Vegas or Reading, right. where you're getting a big hour change, obviously going early and letting your body adjust is going to help. Um, for us, kind of going, you know, if you're flying overseas and shooting, that's a huge shock to the system. Right. Sometimes that helps because you're 
halfway comatose and you don't know what's going on you're probably winging it for the most part sometimes yeah yeah seriously i mean and then you're shooting on instinct more than which uh, sometimes is good but it's not a (laughs) that's not a consistent way right right it either works or it doesn't it's kind of a 50 50 on either one of those so gotcha so after a tournament um you know when you get done is it just beer time or (laughs) Uh, decompression yeah i mean i like even after the first day, um, I decompress. I mean, we, I know Braden's good friends with a couple PGA guys and, uh, you know, even though PGA, which they're m- much greater athletes than we are. Just look at the field. There's not very many guys that look like, uh, overweight. Yeah. there's not many guys that look like most archers do. Right. right. <laughs> um, but like one art or one golfer in particular, he gets done with his round. He, He'll go into the locker room, sit down, have two or three beers before he even starts evaluating the round. So you just have decompression time before you, before you talk to your coach, any of that. I'm not saying you have to go out and drink two or three beers to decompress from a round, but, I mean, just like you would decompress from practice. You know, a lot of guys drive to the range to practice. They'll go to the range, shoot their practice rounds, get done, driving back home. That whole time they're driving back, they're sitting in their truck, sitting in their car, you know, whether it's a five-minute drive or an hour-long drive. Right. That time, a lot, I mean, hopefully you got your eyes on the road, but you're thinking about... The tournament. Well, you're thinking about the tournament, you're thinking about the round that you just shot in your practice, trying to evaluate what happened, how to make it better, what went wrong, what went right. Um, and again, it goes back to just keeping us keeping a consistent schedule and keeping a consistent routine. Right. A lot of times you need to do that same thing at a tournament. Right. No, that makes total sense. hundred percent sense for sure. Yeah. So, you know, looking at the amateur side of it, I'll talk a little bit about that. I mean, we do a lot of the same things, except I probably change a whole heck of a lot too much. Um, those who know me know that that's my MO. Um, but I'm like Bridger, I'm getting old, 51 years old. I, eyes are going bad. So I run actually a five or six power. I'll go back and forth between the two, depending on what face I'm looking at. Um, I do run a pretty big dot. Uh, I try to cover most of the interior of the dot to try to, what I call, relax my brain in the aiming process. Um, and then after that, it's just a heck of a lot of making sure the shot breaks clean on the backside with the release. Um, I know, Bridger, you shoot a hinge. You shoot an HT, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, most of us shoot hinges. I bounce back and forth between the thumb and the hinge. I can shoot most of them, but I'll cheat the thumb every once in a while. Bridger's watched me do that numerous times. Um, and, uh, other than that, I, I run a blade like him at 10,000 and I do pretty much for everything. You know, I've dabbled, uh, actually last year and the year before that with the ham ski rests and, uh, and the vapor trail both, it, you know, for me, it's a little different as a shop owner, because if there's one question I get a lot from our customer base and from competitive archers that come and, 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 and shop with us is that, what do you shoot? And I, I try to really be fair to most of the manufacturers that we carry. So I'll, I will probably dabble in each of those product lines at some time throughout the year for different disciplines or whatever it may be. And um, a lot of it's because, you know, it's helping spread the love from 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 us supporting those manufacturers. And as an owner, and, and I'm definitely not Bridger Deaton, but, you know, sometimes it, it goes a long way for, for our customers. Um, bar sets, I pretty much run the same thing as I do outside as inside. Um, and depending on the bow, probably I'll run between 27 and 30 inches in the front, mostly 12s on the back and pretty much leave my weights pretty static. And like I said, we'll talk about stabilizer setup probably for another podcast because we can talk about it forever. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, but, um, you know, other than that, it's, it's for 
for me, indoor is a grind. Um, and, I, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about, because I'm coaching a bunch of kids right now. And if there's one thing, and I've got one kid in, in particular that is probably, in my opinion, fundamentally the most solid archer form-wise, his shot process. I mean, this kid is amazing. Mm-hmm. I think he's one of the top kids around. Um, but his mental game, you know, it's uh, it's he's waiting to, waiting to miss, I call it. Yeah. Um, and and so talk to us maybe a little bit about from the pro's perspective. You guys probably don't think about that, do you? I mean, because your, your expectation um, is you're going to hit it. Yeah, I mean, you draw back with every intention of hitting the, hitting the middle. That's why you, that's why we like, do it. I mean, that's why, you, yeah, you try to hit the middle, obviously. But, right. I mean, un, fortunately, unfortunately, depending on who you ask, I know if there's been a million and one uh, Facebook comment threads in the hundreds of comments range talking about how the indoor round needs to change and all that. Um, but as far as drawing back to not miss, I mean, I go into shooting every round thinking like, all right, I'm going to shoot a 30 X. Correct. And I'm doing everything I can to hit the X ring every time I draw the bow back. Right. Um, I don't, I guess I just, I don't really think about it as not missing. Like I'm for me, I'm trying to hit the X. So, and whether, you know, if you're an amateur and you're trying to hit the hit the ten ring on a Vegas face or an X ring on a on a five spot, right? Um, I don't know. It's it's all about how you approach it. Yeah, and I can tell you, you know, and talk with Bridger, and I get a chance to work with him every day. You know, he'll come up, and I remember when you got the result, and um, he came back and he set up his uh, victory uh, victory X, and he looks at me and says, "I'm going to go shoot at least a 27, 20, 28 X's," and so. He's talking about shooting X counts because the 300 is a foregone conclusion. And I know most of us amateurs, we look at it and go, man, I just want to shoot a 300 today. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's part of why the difference between you all and us is that you guys, the expectation is there. You put that on yourself and you work hard to achieve that. And one of the things that we're trying to coach our kids on is that method, that mentality. You have yeah. to have that. Well, I mean, you're, you're shooting to hit the 10. You're not shooting to yeah, right not there. shoot a That's nine. it right there. That's a great way to put it. You're shooting to hit the 10 and not to hit the X. And we should be trying to shoot the X mm-hmm. every time. Well, no, even even on the like if you're amateur side, if you're if your goal is to shoot a three hundred on a Vegas face, right? Like you shouldn't be going in saying, "Wow, I hope I don't shoot a nine. because <laughs> that's a lot of uh, talking to some guys here. That a lot of time that's oh, it's what we that's think. what it a lot is. of our shooters think that. Yeah, like you get to full draw and you're worried about shooting the nine as opposed to. Um, just bury the arrow in the middle of the yeah. tent. You know, in the middle of the X ring. We'll we'll use Keith Schnell as an example. So Keith has been shooting now for a couple of years with us, and he's one of our top um, staff shooters we have here at the shop. And he, I've watched him mature in the fact that he now talks about shooting sixty clean mm-hmm. on the NFAA face. Um, that didn't happen a year ago. Keith was talking about just shooting a clean three hundred. Right. So well, and, his maturation process is, right. I think, on track. And that's just getting better at shooting, too. Right. But right. as far as, like, somebody that's right there, shoot, you know, shooting 290, 297, 298, 299, and just can't hit that plateau. That's all mental. It, 100%. 100%. I know when I shot, I'm trying to remember how old I was, but I, when I shot my first 300 on a Vegas face, I think I went, like, I, I shot it, and I thought to myself, like, what? That's hard. That was really, really easy. <laughs> like, why am I, why am I putting so much pressure on myself to shoot this? Right. When, like, if you shoot two tens in a row, you can shoot thirty in a row. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, I think the after I shot that first three hundred, I shot. I don't think I missed a ten for like two months or something. Right. 
like even in practice. Um, and the same thing when I shot my first 60 X on a five spot, like I, I shot it and I'm like, oh man, it, yeah, that's probably, one I mean, of it's the biggest... just saying it's not hard is maybe that's a kind of you a, know, yes and no, but I an think a whole thing to say, no, but I, <laughs> I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that these guys, and I read about it all the time on archery talk, on the forums, on Facebook, and I, and even our own customer base, you know, they that 300 is kind of the holy grail. And they're popping 296s, 297s. And those three to four arrows mm-hmm. are all in the, between the ears. That's the oh, six yeah. inches between I, the ears. It's not technique. I mean, you shoot that many, that good of a score across 60 arrows, um, you know how to shoot the bow. It's, yeah. it's the mental block. Um, and I think some of that is the I'm waiting to miss mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think exactly. we all, I think most of us as amateurs, we struggle with that when we should be thinking about, yeah, we're going to, we're going to stay clean this round. And what's funny, I remember when I shot my first 300, you know, many, many years ago, like you said, it becomes like riding a bike. You know, it's just, it becomes automatic. Almost. Yeah. You, you get done with it and you look like, back wow. and you're like, oh, that, that wasn't bad at all. Why, why was I stressing out? Yeah. What? That? <laughs> yeah exactly. I don't know. I mean, Jason, you could probably say the same thing. I mean, kind of more outdoor because you're shooting a lot more Paris stuff and that's what you're focusing on, obviously, because Tokyo coming up. But like when you broke 600 for the first time, like for you to look back, was it like, well, well, damn, why did it, why am I freaking out about doing this every time? Yeah, it was, it was actually really, really, really eye-opening. Um, you know, the way that I did it was I used to come in here and I used to shoot halves. Mm-hmm. And I figured I was going to work on my confidence because I had to preload that, that mental uh, state of mind where, you know, if I can shoot a 300 half, well, why can't I do it twice? Exactly. So I came in and I started doing it. And I remember the first time, you know, I shot like a, I think it was like a 283. And I was like, man, I don't know. This is just, it, it's, it seems impossible. And I just kept on practicing, kept on practicing. Before you know it, I was out there practicing with you. And I was like, dude, I just shot a 316 or Yeah, I, re- I remember doing that this summer when I was down yeah. over the 4th of July. Yeah. We go outside and you had shot a couple scores over 300. Yeah. Um. But I remember shooting with you, and I walked back, and I think I'd said I was going to spot you like 40 points or something. <laughs> and, well, just so we were a little more competitive with right. each other. To make it I mean, a game. Yeah. I mean, I'm shooting with a four-power scope and a peep sight. Yeah. And Jason's shooting, Jason shoots W1 in the pair division. Yeah, so explain so, it. You know, Jason, or, yeah, why don't you explain what W1 is? Because a lot of people don't realize, mm-hmm. I think, the, I, I hate to use the word handicap, but no. how you guys are challenged as para-archers. So it's it's just different divisions. You know, we've got the open division, which is um, everybody shoots the same way that, that you guys shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the same 60-pound limitations, uh, scope, peep, all the all the, all the the bells and whistles. Uh, for W1, you're restricted to no peep. You've got to shoot an aperture, uh, pretty much like a recurve aperture, no, right. uh, no level. You get no and, level, you get no magnification, exactly. nothing. Exactly, and you're restricted to 45 pounds. Yeah. So, I mean, the the big challenge is that string alignment. You've got to learn how to align your string. I align to the riser. A lot of people align to the to the sight. The scope. Right. Um, I like to I like to call it a set it and forget it. Where I'll I'll anchor, check my string. I'm aligned. Mm-hmm. All right, and I just set the the sight on the on the target. So that's my my biggest uh, challenge as far as the restrictions are. So, so. I, I also you know I, I learned something yesterday. I think it was, or maybe two days ago. We and Jason were talking about. Actually, we, me and Jason and Bridger were in the office, and we were looking at watching a video, and I, and I thought it was kind of 
killer awesome. They were talking about, what's his name, Fabry? Oh, Jeff Fabry. Jeff Fabry, yeah. yeah. And, and why don't you, you know, talk about the reason why we have these classes now because of this guy. And I, I was watching a video of it. Um, well, we were talking about, remember we were talking about the, the levels of, I guess, where he so, can't field certain things. Remember, he's got a very erect um, process in a shot, well, which you can't have. Correct. There's there's a couple uh, limitations out there that they redid after the 2017 uh, World Championships, and it, it wasn't necessarily just Jeff. Just Jeff. Um, they wanted to make the playing field a little bit more level. So before the 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 cutoff for W1 was you had to have an upper body and a lower body impairment. Right. So uh, people that were missing a hand and a foot or that had um, paralysis in a hand and feet, they were automatically uh, taken into W1. So what they did was they made it, uh, you had to have three limitations. You had to have a lower body, which is your, your feet, which I have, uh, upper body limbs, which is hands. I've got weakness in my hands and core. They, you cannot have, uh, X amount of points. They, they grade you on a point system. You can't have certain strengths in your core. Right. So mm -hmm. somebody that's sitting there, you know, you, you can't be shooting against uh, a quadriplegic that has absolutely no core balance and have somebody that's got full core control because they can stabilize themselves and well, yeah. stabilize that bow I mean, 100% Watching better. Fabry, um, looking at his form, I mean, this guy, if you looked at him from his waist up, he's solid. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's obviously nothing against Jeff because Jeff, no, I mean, he's a great he's archer. One of, super cool dude. Yeah. Love Jeff right. to death. I've worked with him I just think it's cool time, that they've but, made classes but, around uh, Yeah, like a lot, of, a lot of the W1 guys now or all the W1 guys now, you know, they have to have that, that – uh, core disability to where you can't control your body yeah. i mean think about it sitting in a chair like scott and i are sitting in our uh, office chairs now like you can sit there and lean forward and your abs tighten up well like, like with with jason that, that doesn't happen <laughs> well you know it's funny you say that because you know we'll go down we're gonna go chase a squirrel right now because for some of you who don't know jason is I think one step away from being on the the uh, U.S. Paralympic team for the Tokyo Games, and I think he's got to go down and what win or place top two in in uh, Mexico City. So I've got to go to Mexico in uh, March at the Parapan uh, Championships down there, and in order to get that that slot into the uh, the U.S., I've got to go and win that. Then win that event, right? Correct. So that's what Jason's working towards. So talk about chasing a squirrel. Um, Jason and I are working together now um, on his strength. So we meet three days a week at the gym, and um, I'm getting a chance to train Jason as far as his upper body muscular strength. Two and days a week. Two this days week. A week. Because, yeah, two days because uh, Jason slept. didn't show yeah. up this morning. So somebody slept in this. Morning. Funny story. <laughs> oh, there's no excuses. <laughs> I can't. Let's I gotta, hear the excuse. I want to hear it. No, there is no excuse. Oh, okay. I actually, I actually had a flashback of being in the military today when, when my sergeant would call me because I missed a formation and I freaked out because <laughs> my phone was going off this morning. That was me. And I opened my eyes, going, "What the heck? It's Saturday." <laughs> and I see Scott Hamlin calling me, yeah. and all I could think of was, oh, crap. Yeah, and here's the funny part. He actually texted me this morning. He said, hey, I'll be there at 830 on time, so get ready to rock. Uh, because we're actually in a building phase, I call it right now, where we are pressing a lot of heavyweight, uh, low reps. And it's it's interesting because working out with Jason, and, and a lot of it's assisted, some of it's unassisted. Um, 
I will tell you that the guy has no core whatsoever, and to be able to do what he does is amazing. And you talk about muscle isolation. You know, we, you know, when we're doing curls, let's say something that's simple, we can definitely swing and sway to help us move that weight. Well, Jason is not, and mm. it's it's kind of cool to see what uh, I think it's going to be awesome to see how he finishes this thing out when we get ready for this uh, for these games in August and get him ready for Mexico. Um, but it was I wanted to talk about real quick about that Fabry video because I thought it was amazing. Oh, when, um, uh, so I want to when the he came semifinals. back and beat that guy. So if you guys get a chance, go was, on YouTube. What was it, Jason? Or was or, it the finals? Was it the finals or it the semis? The, it was the semifinals. Yeah, in, uh, uh, London, Paralympics. London, 2012. 2000. YouTube this if you get a chance. You're going to see this guy blow his bow up. In the first or second end, was it second end? Yeah, you guys will have to see it. No and, spoilers. And, and, and well, let's put it this way: he goes to his truck and gets his backup bow. He actually misses one or two ends, so the other guy shoots and gets a score and wins the sets clean. And this guy comes back with his backup bow and wins this tournament. It is freaking amazing. I mean, it's a testament to this guy. It's He's cool, a cool story, but it's all, a great story. All that leaning back to like with you guys working out and doing all that, lean back to Jason like. We're was talking asking about when that you score. shooting your first yeah. 600 outside on a 50-meter face versus right. like myself shooting first 300 in a Vegas face or Scott shooting his first 300 on a five-spot NFAA round. Like after you accomplish it, it's like, oh, man. That, that, I'm doing this all the time. It's not that hard. Like I don't do this every time. <laughs> you kind of you kind of beat yourself up a little bit because of how bad you beat yourself up before then. Exactly. Like I can't believe I gave that so much thought, and it's actually that easy. Mm-hmm. But the the it's just funny thinking about the mentality behind you know being frustrated for not doing it, and then you get done with it, and then you're frustrated that you were frustrated about not doing it. <laughs> yeah. You know. When you when you talk about that, that leads me to a a really a really simple question, or not simple, but uh, people probably don't think about this. Your average Joe doesn't think about this. How much of a mental game do you think it plays into your shooting indoor versus shooting outdoor? Do you uh, think Do you think it's more mental inside than outside? Shoot, yeah, because you, you, thousand. Yeah, because you you I mean, in the pro division, you are trying not to miss right. because. I mean, well, heck, in the amateur I division, it's like that. In the amateur now. division, the upper end of the amateur division Absolutely. is that way now. But yeah. you're, I mean, you're practicing. It hasn't been, I think, I, I may be way off on this. You might be able to look it up. I don't know how quick it'd be to find. But I think the last time that Vegas was won outright was like 1998. Something crazy, like 1997, 1998 with an outright score. And I think since then there you mean has with been with no ties, like with no ties, no shoot off, no shoot off. like right. the Vegas shoot off, the big deal right. in right. Vegas now, right. where every pro the goes clean. to Vegas with the intention of making what has been dubbed the shoot off. Right. Um, I think the last time where there's only been one guy to where there wasn't a shoot off was again back in like ninety eight or right. ninety seven, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's been a heck of a long time. So, I mean, we are going to not miss, but I don't know. There's, I don't know. There's just a different mentality behind it, I guess. Well, that there, we think there's got to be a ton of pressure with that. Meaning that, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because you, know, you go outside and you're, 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 you're trying to shoot clean, but yeah. The, because environmental conditions alone, 30 mile an hour crosswinds, which we had at Outdoor right. Nationals last year, you're not shooting clean. But even, I mean, so kind of goes back to like when I first shot my first 
300. Right. Like I go to Vegas. I've been the closest I've been was the ninth end on Sunday, and probably the reason I made it back made it that far back then because I was 17 or 18 and a lot dumber than I am now, so I ain't <laughs> thinking about it as much. But there's something to be said for that. That's funny to how that some works. degree. Yeah. But uh, like now you he show up and you're so worried. You're archery. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> you're so worried now about um, not shooting that nine or yeah. you, the anticipation that's built up. For me, I know once I finally make the shoot off, if I ever make it, it's going to be like, wow. Well, yeah. The way that I've yeah. reacted to other shoot offs that I've made and other perfect scores I've shot when I sh first shot them was like, wow. Why? I don't understand why it was that hard. So mm -hmm. I'm going to have that same. Re I, I don't. For me, it's kind of cool because I think about maybe having that same type of reaction again right? when I haven't had that in so long. Because, like, in all reality, it should be harder to make the shoot-off at NFA Indoor Nationals because the X-ring on a five-spot is the same size as the 10-ring on, on a Vegas, Vegas face. Right. And we shoot 30 more arrows for score right? in NFA because you're shooting six, two 60-arrow rounds for 120 arrows versus three 30-arrow rounds for 90. But I've made that shoot-off four times. Right. <laughs> yeah. Do you, I mean, do do you think that you know, kind of going off a little bit of a tangent, but I've heard this a lot. Is the color between yellow and white uh, a changer for you, a game changer? Uh, I mean, yes and no. Like for me, at at uh, uh, like when I go to pro events, like the Midwest Open, right? Like the the Iowa Pro Am and the Hoosier Pro Am. When you're switching targets, for me, I do a lot of visual visualization. Mm -hmm. Um, after my five spot round and before my three spot round, sometimes, you know, if I had a decent day and I still feel like shooting a little bit, I'll grab a target face, throw up a Vegas face on Saturday night and shoot. Because I mean, you are, anytime you change something, your body and your head's going to react a little yeah, different. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you're still just holding a black dot in the middle of a yellow face or right. a white face. I know for me, I love shooting field. NFAA field. So for me to aim at that hunter or aim at the uh, uh, five spot face for me is just naturally easier because that's right. what I enjoy doing. Right. Um, that hunter face is very similar as far as sight picture goes. Right. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it can change a little bit, but really, I mean, I 90% of the arrows I shoot during the year are at a multicolored face. So right. I got a yellow gotcha. center, red ring, blue ring. Yep. So Jason, going back to you, um, there's not really a a there's not really a uh, a championship round or anything in indoor, correct? For the para guys, I mean, you guys are kind of lumped in with the rest of the archers, am I right? Yeah, I mean, we we do have our own individual uh, indoor, like USA Archery. Right. We'll, we'll get our own individual uh, indoor champions and, and things like that based on our divisions. Okay, so there is a division for the para guys. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and a, a lot of the a lot of the para guys, some of them. Uh, like in the W one class, unfortunately, the majority of our competition lives overseas, so they'll they'll sometimes put the men and the women together uh, in that division. And then, as far as the the open men, you know, they they all compete against each other, and at the end of the year, they'll have their outright champion for indoor. Right now, NFAA doesn't do that. Am I correct, Bridger? No, I think most of the para guys get thrown into the with the rest of the group. Well, they get either get thrown in with open championship or the think, limited, yeah, they'll get thrown in in the limited division. So like finger shooters, right? Um, I don't but know. But you if can't that, shoot a release though. Or can well, you? I don't know. I 
I haven't looked at the rules because I haven't taught guys before. I know I don't know. I'm pretty sure like Jeff for NFAA stuff, he used to shoot a mechanical release inside. He'd shoot a shoulder mounted release. Gotcha. Um, but like Eric Bennett, but uh, but in theory, if Fabry wants to shoot um, limited, he could because he shoots with the mouth tab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so uh, Eric Bennett is a good friend of mine. He's a parachuter, shoots uh, open recurve in the para division. Um, he goes to Vegas every year and shoots shoots in the recurve championship division. Right. So I mean, a he's shooting a recurve, but he's not using a release. He shoots with the mouth tab. So yeah, the, I'll tell you, you know, folks, if you haven't get a, had a chance to see some of these para guys and some of the things they do, it's it's amazing. Um, uh, matter of fact, Bridger was telling us a story today. Is it appropriate maybe to talk about Stutzman and the? Uh... Oh yeah. Okay. Some of the <laughs> so stuff, some so, of the so stuff that we yeah, do. With Bridger them. Bridger is very very good friends with Matt Stutzman. If you guys have not got a chance to watch this guy, he's a uh, he's an amazing individual uh, with a bow. Um, suits for Hoyt. Um, no arms, correct? Yep. So he, he shoots basically with his lower body with his feet. And if, we're going to chase another squirrel because this is a funny story. I'm going <laughs> to let Bridger tell it because he was intimate with this one. Um, you'll get a kick out of this. So I was, Matt's a good friend of mine. Um, he's from Iowa, so am I. He's to, he was, we only lived about an hour, hour and a half apart. And uh, I would help him with his setups a lot, you know, Without fingers, you know, his little shoulder right. stubs were even fatter than my fingers, so I would try and help him out every once in a while. But uh, so when he always tells a story at some of his speaking events where he was going, he was... And Matt loves fast cars, right? Matt's, yeah, that's his, that's his, you thing. Know, his little hobby is yeah. he builds, he loves building track cars and drift cars. And he was testing a, testing one of his cars. I don't remember exactly which one it was, but uh, it was... Later at night, he was going 56 and a 55. There's a heavy quotation sarcasm around that one. But uh, that's what he always says at his speaking events, so I'll hold true to that. But uh, he's going to talk fi- about how fast he was really he, going. He's doing 56, 56 and a 55, and he got pulled over by a uh, police officer in the fine fine city right around, uh, I think he was right around Mount Pleasant or something, yeah. down southeast Iowa. And... Uh, the officer came over the the PA system and said, "Put your hands outside the vehicle," which, well, hard to do when you don't have any. And he's sitting <laughs> in the car, no idea what to do, no idea what to do. <laughs> he comes over the PA a couple more times, same thing. Hands out the vehicle, hands out the vehicle. So Matt finally just says, "The hell with it," rolls his windows down and sticks both his feet out because that's he, what he drives with. He drives, yeah. He'll, yeah so I've, I've driven to where Matt and I drive. Oh, uh, Arizona Cup four or five years ago. Yeah. And there's actually a picture of me on Facebook of me driving with my feet. Nobody, nobody, not a single person commented on it. <laughs> really? Like nobody said a dang thing. Cause they're probably afraid to offend. So, Matt or... so like Matt will drive, he does braking gas with his left foot and then he'll stick his right foot up onto the steering wheel, you know, so that way you can use, you know, if it's a, a center shift or a drive or the little drive shift right by the steering wheel. Right. He can still control that. And uh, so he rolls his window down, sticks his feet out, and <laughs> officer comes charging up with uh, gun drawn and everything. Cause he... 56 I, out of 55, folks. I Iowa may or may not have some drug issues around there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So definitely a lot of stuff you don't want to mess with. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, so he came charging up and officer saw him and oh oh my god and like just, freaks I out. mean you don't know what to say <laughs> yeah what do you say <laughs> this guy's sitting there with no arms and you've been yelling at him gun drawn <laughs> to but uh, put his hands no, out Matt, the window no matt will appreciate no. that story you know, he's, he's a good dude i love hanging out with him yeah and you know what i'm gonna tell you so you know jason being one of my best friends for the last couple of years he's uh what i love about the para community is most of these guys they embrace their disability and it's not Jason jokes about it more than we do. And when mm -hmm. I first met him, I will never forget, he used to crack jokes about it. And I used to freak out. I mean, I would be like, oh my gosh, you know, and I would... What do I say? Yeah, what do I say to that? Because oh, I, I don't want to offend him. <laughs> oh man, I have a great story about that. So not necessarily with you, Jason, but uh, I don't, I've hung out with a pair of guys for quite a while. Um, I mean, Jason, the first time I met him, I mean, got to the point where I moved down here partially because of the relationship I had with Jason and in turn with you, Scott, but, uh, I have known Matt for a long time. Uh, Eric Burkett train wreck. Yeah. As most people know him. Super cool dude, Ben Thompson, all those para guys. Um, but one of younger kid, more my age, a couple years younger than me, uh, Gabe Marcosi is from Pennsylvania. He was working at, uh, Lancaster at the time for Lancaster archery shop. And, he was going to all of the USA archery tournaments to work in their trailer. This was, I think the first year that they had their trailers for the USA archery stuff. And for Gabe, he was shooting the pair stuff and he wasn't shooting pair before, but decided to try and do it. I think for the 2016 Olympics, but for him, he, when he was a kid, he wanted to help his dad, uh, process a deer. I don't remember how old it was, maybe two or so. And, Got a little ambitious with the, with the grinder there. But anyways, he, so he's missing his left hand. And I remember we were at uh, Arizona Cup one year, and Gabe was all by himself inside the trailer, running back and forth, back and forth. And this is the, when Arizona Cup was a uh, world qualifier, so a lot of the Korean teams would send multiple teams over, kind of their uh, lower ranked teams, just to build a lot of experience because we were shooting. I mean, the men were shooting against Brady and Jake, Brady Elson, Jake Kaminsky, Jacob Wookie, and the women were shooting against, you know, Mackenzie Brown, as well as a couple of the people that came up from, like, Baja, Mexico, Mexico, Colombia, Canada, and such. And uh, <laughs> there was a lot, a bunch of the Korean coaches bought a lot of their stuff at the tournament. Right. Because you can get it so much cheaper here. Oh, yeah. Than, overseas. than dealing with overseas oh, shipping yeah. and all yeah. that. And uh, there was probably. I don't know, eight or ten of the coaches standing there trying to buy stuff, and Gabe is just going 100 miles an hour one end of the trailer to the other, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I, I walked up because I, I was gluing a point back in or something, so I hopped back up into the trailer and was doing it. And I was like, hey, Gabe, what's up? And he's, you know, all fever. So, hey, and, you know, goes right back to what he's doing or whatever. And he looks at me for a second. I was like, hey, man, do you, do you need a hand? <laughs> And the, oh my God, the Korean coaches looked and just every one of us was like, <gasps> you can't say that. Oh man. He just looked at me. He's like, dude, you gotta be freaking kidding me. I mean, he, he thought it was pretty funny. Right. Oh but, yeah. But I well, know uh, it is funny. Like guys will, they'll joke about it. Yeah. Um, well, I remember well, with Jason, I used to, I would make, I remember this vividly one time I told him we were talking about his shooting and him being part of our shooting staff. And I. I think I vividly remember this. I made a comment. Well, hey, you know, why don't we go over in the office and we'll sit down and talk about it? And Jason looks at me and rolls his eyes like, I'm already sitting. And I felt like <laughs> such a 
dork. I mean, I was like, <laughs> I screwed that one up. And I was like totally trying to really watch how I talked to him. And then when he starts cracking his own jokes, I realize, yeah, this is this guy's totally not offended. Am I right? No, I mean, I, I, I understand the, the stigma out there and everything, but I, I guess it's a little bit different when you're in the situation. You know, you've got two choices when you're handed this. You can either sulk or you can just roll with it. Yeah. Literally. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> See, there you go. Um I, I was I was like this beforehand. I was always the guy cracking jokes and you know, I, I credit my, my sense of humor to my grandfather. My grandfather always looked at life with, with a smile on his face, regardless of how good or how bad it was. So I it just it just kind of carried on to me. Yeah. And yeah, I mean we'll be we'll be sitting here um a couple times at the shop and some of the new customers and, and yeah, it, it might be a little a little mean, but seeing the reaction on, on some of the people is oh, is priceless. It is priceless. When when somebody comes in and just stands there and I, I'll look up at them and say, Well, do you want me to get up and go get it for you? <laughs> just grab it and bring it to me. I'll help you. But Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 different. I mean the the para community has taught me a lot. And and from an archery standpoint, from where you met me two and a half years ago to now, you know, being able to meet everybody and get get around with them and, and just associate myself with a with the archery community and the archery para community i mean it's i think it's made me a better individual than than where i was two and a half years ago well Um, even even everybody in archery the community we have and i mean kind of full circle here going back to if you're wanting to shoot tournaments and stuff that indoor stuff is a really good way to do it because those events are so popular and you'll see somebody from every little facet of archery there like i said at the beginning of the podcast where i said indoor archery is the one thing where regardless of what discipline you enjoy the most you're going to end up going to an indoor tournament yeah absolutely so you know like i said you you go to vegas you go to internationals you're rubbing elbows with you know dan mccarthy levi morgan correct uh Emily McCarthy, Sarah Lance, Chance, Chance yeah. and then a lot got, of the Well, then you've got Sergio Pagnin. Yeah, you get to the Mike the, the European guys that yeah. are killing it too. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, heck, Stefan's won well, indoor nationals twice, and he's from from uh, Denmark. Europe, right, from Denmark. From Denmark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, and the other thing is, is that a lot of people get intimidated because of the Vegas. It's a Vegas shoot. You know, I think arguably the largest shoot in the world, probably. It is 100%. under one roof. Yeah, and. You you could be standing there with somebody from Iraq behind you shooting, mm-hmm. about, or, or or Korea or China. I mean, they come from all over the world. Yeah, it's wild. So, and that, I think well, that is what makes it so cool. Yeah, and then you go into uh, like Vegas has the their big trade show there, and a lot of the pros, myself included, we we try and go and hang out at all these booths and try and meet people and try and be approachable. Yeah, um, and that's the best place to do it too, because a we're not we're not shooting at the time. We're right. either getting ready to shoot, which a lot of time. I mean, I'll go up there and kind of hang out a little bit, but I try and keep to myself before we before I score. Before I score, yeah. You go up there. We're we're all done scoring. There's a bunch of people around. We're usually goofing off. We're you know either we had a good day. We're done decompressing over it, and what's done is done. We had a great day. Shot a 300, and we want people to know about right. it. We hang our targets up. You know, people ask us about our setups and stuff. That's the best way. Um, you know, to kind of get to know pro shooters and like if you have a specific question um like you can go up you can go to the aae booth and see jesse sitting there yeah. chatting with greg maybe during their podcast or you know during the bow junkie podcast um grab him after he leaves 
or you run over to the Carbon Express booth and you see Stefan Hansen sitting there. Right. You go over to the Matthews booth, you see Braden, Rio, or Jesse, or somebody else sitting there. Yeah. I mean, every, so that's it, the it, one place where the whole commu- archery community comes together, at least from the target perspective. Correct. Well, and I'll tell you, you know, it's one of the few sports, I think, where the professional archers are extremely accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you talk about community and family. I mean, I, the the archery community as a whole, even in the, here in the United States and internationally, is like a big, big family. Yeah. Um, and I can think of maybe, no, naming no names, two to three pros that probably don't embrace the and, – uh, aren't approachable or not willing to give their time, their information, you know, signing autographs, things like that. And I mean, and I think a lot of the, this perception based off timing, like you said, yeah, if they're getting ready to go shoot a score and oh, bugging yeah. them for I, an autograph, I mean, they may, may seem unapproachable, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll throw Braden under the bus a little bit here. Braden Galantine, <laughs> I mean. I wasn't going to go there. The guy's from Boston. He has a little bit of that Northeastern attitude, big city. But he's – Braden is one of the most approachable and the most like hyper intelligent oh, individuals yeah, I know. Doubt. Like uh, even outside of archery, yeah, right? Crazy intelligent, and he will. I mean, he will bend over backwards to try and help you with whatever <clears throat> issues you have going on. But he is so hyper competitive. Like you catch him, like in the middle of the tournament, like while we're shooting. I mean, I mean people hate saying it, people hate hearing it, but we are working to a certain extent. And yeah. I'm not saying yeah. like. You can't come up, like, if we're sitting in between ends, be like, hey, man, what's up? Can you sign my hat or sign this book or whatever? Like, all of us are happy to do that. Right. But, like, if you walk up and you, you're you watching our target and you see us dump an arrow in Vegas, like, we're going to come sit back and we're probably not going to be super excited to talk to anybody. <laughs> but, like, if you walk up and you're like, man, so you missed that arrow. That sucks, doesn't it? Like, yeah. we're going to come off. A little bit abrasive, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, just a, just a little. But but like, yeah, brain. You know, brain's just so hyper competitive, and I'm the same way. Um, unless the day's just going extremely well, extremely well. Even on either end, either extremely right. well or, or really bad. Really yeah. bad. Yeah. You know, um, everybody's gonna kind of close down because we're we've got one thing on our mind at that time and a lot of us don't like being distracted by, but afterwards, like we encourage people to come up and that's part of the reason why I kind of brought it up was, um, I don't know. There's been this weird stigma the last probably five or six years of, you know, people saying pros are inaccessible and all that. Whereas, I mean, I guess I don't see that because I, I don't either. Like I get, I get all kinds of Facebook messages. People ask me questions. I love answering them. Um, when I'm at tournaments, I love talking to people about different products and stuff. Cause there's, I mean, there's a reason I use products. The stuff that I use is cause I like them. Right. I like the people I deal with, with them. And I think they're good stuff. Right. Right. Um, but I mean, the other side of that, I work in a bow shop too. And I, I, I love helping out with any product regardless right. of what it is. So if you like, I'll be in the elite booth in Vegas this year. If you're a fan or something, you walk up and you got a, a Matthews or cause you know, I shot him before or Hoyt or a, a, a a gearhead or whatever, right. like it all doesn't matter. Of, doesn't matter. All of us are going to do our best to try and alleviate an issue that somebody has. If that's what you're, you know, if that's what you're approaching, or you just want to come up and say hi and chit chat. Right. We are all normal people. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, contrary to popular oh. belief, they still do what we do, yeah. living wise. So yeah, it's go ahead. Jason. That's that's an episode to come. Yeah. <laughs> the, we are going to talk about that, the actually. real lives of of pro archers and, yeah. and archer itself it's, because. Everybody at the end of the day, you know, we do live regular lives. I'm I'm not a pro by any means, but you know, I'll come into the shop, I'll shoot, I'll go to a tournament and shoot. 
after I get done shooting, I still want to go out and see the sights or go have a good dinner. Oh yeah, dude. Go we, hang we, out. Yeah. I know, uh, like Levi and Chance and they're all big, big troop of guys and gals that they all go hang out with. They go down to the strip every year I may or may not like it somewhere. On somebody's phone, there's a video of Garrett Ayersman getting paid a hundred dollars <laughs> to eat like a whole quarter's worth of wasabi at yeah. a sushi restaurant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was either Jake or either Jake uh, Marlo. It had to be or, Jacob. <laughs> I yeah. it might have been Garrett. I don't know, really? but oh yeah, yeah, we'll go out. Yeah, it we sounds like, like a Jacob thing. We like to hang out, and I mean, you're a normal person yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. We're just really good at holding the aluminum stick really still. Yeah, so. that's it. Exactly. 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 Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people are just intimidated a little bit by indoor archery some of them like myself yeah. i i think it's really tedious uh to the point where i kind of dislike it sometimes but i think it's no you hate it, it jason. i do hate yeah, it I, I, i'm not like gonna jason right. is not even competing indoor right now this no. year but no. you have a good reason it's getting ready for tokyo we've got what six or seven months to get there correct and, but i um, do i do dislike it I, I do agree with scott with a lot of your work indoors does transfer outside, and and, uh, and it'll it'll make you a better archer. But yeah, a hundred percent. I do think it's a really good gateway to the archery world and the archery yeah, community. Yeah, if, if you're somebody that that is wanting to to get into doing uh, tournament archery stuff, um, I don't. It's a great way to do it because, again, it is twenty yards. Almost everybody can shoot twenty yards here. Um, well, it is. It's close. I mean, it's close. So you guys, the, don't, the, you guys the don't see this, but I'm going to tell you why we're kind of breaking up a little bit here. I keep snagging my shirt on this piece of wood on our desk. And he's like trying so to I, sand it with so a bottle So I grab cap. this bottle cap, and I'm trying to sand it down. I guess it's probably pretty loud. <laughs> but but Bridger just kicked my chair, and Jason's over here busting out laughing his tail off. And we're working on our, our podcast studio. So we, we're, we're turning Scott's office into a studio, <laughs> right. but eventually like, look, we're going to get everything. Look at that splinter. We're going to get everything set up. If you guys want to see what it looks like, just go on the Instagram page. We'll be posting some pictures of yeah, it. There you go. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty low. It's moment. low maintenance right now. <laughs> low tech, but, let's call it. Yeah. No, it, it, for indoor, like if you are want, like wanting to dive into doing more competitive or, you know, say you're hunting or you, there's somebody at your bow shop, local shop that shoots competitively and you think it's a cool thing to try. I mean, you don't have, like the, Vegas is a great way to do it. I know every, Vegas, it's hard not to talk about it because it is as big as it is. Not everybody wants to go to Vegas, but um, it's at a tournament or it's at a, a venue that's off the strip. So if that's not your deal, you don't have to go there. It's a, you know, it's fairly family friendly. Absolutely. Area. Yeah. It's that awesome. South for vacation. Casino, yeah. This kind of exactly. turned into a commercial for Vegas. So maybe Bruce will be excited about yeah, it. I'll, te I'll text Bruce and tell him about this podcast. There you <laughs> go. There you yeah. Go. Yeah. But, well, uh, yeah. No, it's it's a good way to get into it and it allows you to approach pros and ask the type of questions that, you know, we're trying to answer here on our podcast as far as, you know, arrow setup, bow setup, all that right. stuff, because everyone there is so accessible, whether yeah. it's a professional, even the top end amateurs will go and hang out. Well, and even the manufacturers. The booth, and especially the manufacturers. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's always going to be somebody sitting in, uh, like the Matthews booth, always going to be somebody sitting in the Elite, Prime, Hoyt. Right. Uh, even you know, a PSE uh, uh, gearhead might even have a boot there. I don't. They know. probably do. Yeah. I don't know if it, if they make something that somebody might use in tournament archery, they are going to have a booth at the Vegas at the Vegas shoot in that trade show. So with all that said, 
I guess I'll expect some souvenirs from you guys coming back because the one year I planned on going to Vegas, I'm not going to be able to make it. No, no. Yeah, poor got, poor guy got, has to go to Dubai. Yeah, he's got to go to Dubai to shoot a, a world championship qualifier, I think it is, or whatever. And it's such a rough life That's sometimes. a tough life, Jason. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> whatever. Hey, you're not the one that's got to endure the 15 Wait, don't I, get to, don't I get to possibly go as your coach, maybe? You're going to Mexico. I'm going to Mexico. Yeah. Dang it, I want to go to Dubai. That's a big... That's a big... It's that's a big, big demotion. Yeah, it's a huge demotion. <laughs> not, that have, I, re- not that I reevaluate. I love. I love one of my favorite tournaments every year was going to uh, Ruben Ochoa's versus tournament in Guadalajara, Mexico. I love really? Mexico. You know, what's funny is I love. I just I just got off a cruise, folks, and uh, we went to Cozumel and Progreso. I love Mexico. It was amazing. Cool What's place. funny is we live four and a half hours away from yeah, Mexico, that part and of Mexico, I can't I don't convince like. Scott to go to Mexico no, with me. No, I don't want my life expectancy to go down by at least 50%. There's a beach there too, Scott. No, I don't know. I won't even go to McAllen. And that's in our own home, yeah, home, this is true. home state. But I just, I don't know. Well, bottom line is I'm expecting some souvenirs from you guys from Vegas. <laughs> I'll get you a cool uh, koozie. I'll get you a keychain or something. Yeah, there you go. I'll get you a little keychain that's got the for the for the little slot machine deal that spins yeah. for like <laughs> so, three dollars. Since we've talked about Vegas a lot this this podcast, Bridget, what are your your top spots to go and and visit Vegas? Just for people that are probably going to be going there for now, the first I wanna, time. I want to preface this. I'm going to jump in. He's he's a little feminine when it comes to this. He probably does oh, the God. shows and stuff, and he's not. You know, <laughs> so I'm getting the evil eye. I. Every year, Vegas is the one tournament a year that my mother comes with me to. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. My mom loves good. Ever, ever since I've gone to Vegas, she always comes with. So a lot of it's up to her, which I'm totally fine with because uh, she usually likes to pay for dinner, which I am all, all about. about. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I love going to all the little shows and stuff. Um, one of the best ones I went to in recent history, I actually went with Matt. Yeah. Um, I went to the Blue Man, Blue Man Group. Awesome show. Yeah, yeah. we talked about um, that. Any of the, any of the uh, Cirque, de, Cirque, Cirque, Soleil. Soleil. Yeah. Cirque du Soleil shows are awesome. They do a bunch of them. Like most people fly in on Wednesday, which is what I'd recommend. You can get in there at like eleven a.m. to noonish. Plenty time to unpack, decompress from get used to being off the airplane. Get over the first three bloody noses you get because you're flying into the damn desert. <laughs> First thing that happens to me, I get off the plane in 10 minutes. If I'm sitting there waiting for nose. bag, and I got bloody nose. Yeah, yeah the altitude. Altitude, altitude it's, really, it's just the dry air. You're in the middle of the desert, yeah, man. It's like they were trying to get to the sun, and they ran out of fuel, and they're like, wow, this will work. Yeah. <laughs> wow, wow. But, uh, yeah. And then you so hope the, your luggage those, made it. <laughs> uh, they're, I've never had a problem. Pretty so good. Knock That's on good. wood. That's good. But yeah. uh, try, and do, try and do a show. If you've never been there, go to a show. Um and just walk up and down the strip, man. There's a lot of cool uh, uh, free, like, animated shows. The 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 water show at the Bellagio is awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, Super cool. I'm going to throw my buddy Blake under the bus because uh, the first year he took his girlfriend at the time, wife now, two beautiful kids, but uh, he didn't want to be distracted at the tournament, so he proposed to her in the hotel room instead of proposing to her like I told him to in front of this spectacular water show the bellagio deal going on lights and water blasting everywhere and awesome music and stuff that one's really cool sounds like a vows renewal (laughs) (laughs) um there's that one the 
volcano show at I think it's the Mirage is really cool. And that's um, free, of, I think, isn't it? Yeah, you just stand yeah, you just off, off the it. sidewalk. Yeah, exactly. It's off the sidewalk. You're just walking up and down the street yeah. with your fourteen dollar beer and yeah. and, or and well and yard just of people watching is an experience. Oh man, the sideshows and or the the like sidewalk people sidewalk right. shows and stuff, people playing beating plastic buckets for oh, yeah. drums. If you like doing that type of stuff, go down to the old strip on uh, Fremont Street. Correct. There, it's there's no cars driving up and down, and like there is, you can cross everywhere. Right. Um, it's kind of like a mini always, New Orleans. Yeah, kind of a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I've never been to New Orleans. A lot of street so performers. Know, yes, um, a lot of street performers. Yeah, yeah. Tons of street performers. Always live music. Go on a concert. Yeah. Um, it's actually all covered now. It's so a there's zip line. Yeah, they have a zip line that goes down it. Um, there's a light show that goes on on the ceiling where that whole street is covered. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's super cool. I mean, Vegas is an awesome place to go and meet people. But if it's something you, like if you don't travel a whole lot, it's a cool place to go because there's a little bit of everything there for everybody. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I've I've been to Vegas a couple of times for the uh, the shot show. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really big into into guns and building guns and stuff like that. So shot show, and then been there for. Uh, one of our best friends uh birthday parties for for her 30th mm-hmm. birthday and i'm i'm with you on the Cirque du Soleil we went and saw the uh the Ka uh Cirque du Soleil show at the MGM Grand i i highly recommend that one i thought i was i was so against it until i got in there yeah. and just just getting into the auditorium it, it blew my mind i will say if you go to a Cirque du Soleil show and you're taking your parents do not go maybe to avoid zoomanity yes <laughs> It's a little risque. A little risque. Yeah, <laughs> but but those shows are good. Like you said, up and down the strip. I mean, it's free. No, there, there's always stuff to do, which I yeah. love. One of my one of my bucket things was I wanted to go and throw dice at the uh, at the Bellagio and at the uh, at Caesars, and I got mm-hmm. to go and play craps at those. I mean, I spent my twenty dollars on one roll and called it quits. I was good. Yeah. Um, so you're saying you lost? No, Did you, you I, lo- I, I donate it. <laughs> you donate. I donate it to you the didn't hotel lose, renovations. You it's but just I, a twenty dollar ticket, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's the least I could have done at Caesar's Palace because if you've never been there and you go to walking around through Caesar's, it's like being in a in a city inside the hotel. It's it's gorgeous. Did Caesar actually lived there. He did. That's, phone. That's, I, whenever I went in there, I I think there's a phone bank because I never got a sig on my beeper. This is true. <laughs> if if you guys need directions to Caesar's room, just please contact Bridger. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Um, <laughs> But for those of you that are going to Vegas, enjoy it, have fun. Yeah. Uh, the food's amazing. I, I recommend going to the all-you-can-eat Korean places. That's personal. <laughs> That's personal. Um, but That's there Jason is. lived he in loved, Korea for years. He loves yes. those. Uh, well, we go to that one here in town all the time. Yep. We've been there probably three wow. or four times Three or four already. times since you've been here. Even. Yep. Yeah. That's a great place. There's a sure. Hofbrau house for those of you guys that like the, the German food. Yeah. Um, an all-you-can-eat taco place if you're not from Texas and aren't tired of tacos yeah we don't need tacos oh hidden, hidden gem insider info go to the pepper mill uh near where the riviera used to be and all you all you need to order is the nachos they're good it's like a 20 pound plate of nachos bro. oh my so you share those oh that's the only thing we order for like a table of six people wow that's a big plate of nachos i'm so. kind of hungry now yeah, yeah no kidding i'm getting hungry <laughs> I mean, so i mean kind of Scott, if you're with me on wrapping, yeah, wrapping absolutely. this up, yeah, uh, yeah. you guys, if, if you're looking at, at 
getting into indoor archery. If you live in Texas, look at the schedule uh, for the the shoot your way across Texas. Yeah. Um, if if you Google just that, it'll. Uh, I mean, it should pop right up. Yeah. The what is it? TSAA. The T or no TFAA. TFAA. Texas Federation. Yeah. Correct. And and honestly, you know, and even if you're listening outside of Texas, get to your local shop. Um, I hope that you have a shop that supports target archery. I know sometimes it can be hard to find. Um, but even if they don't, there's going to be usually like a local shooter that, that is, you know, yeah. does some uh, dabbles on a little bit of, tar- of, uh, archery. Right. I mean, there's multiple websites you can go to and find local yeah, shoots. One of them stuff. is 3dshoots.com. Um, if you yep, get a chance, yep, 3dshoots.com is a number shoots.com And they usually are pretty diligent about posting. They're awesome. That's what I actually, when I first started shooting, them, my dad use. and I would go Same to that way. and use that all the time. Yeah, so do we. Looking for local tournaments uh, yeah. when I first started getting into it in Iowa. Yeah. But but seriously, go look at indoor. It is an, a very low-impact, low-key um, events, um, and you don't have to worry about missing for the most part and, mm-hmm. and chasing and arrows. And Even if it's uh, like you're just wanting to get into get into it shooting your hunting bow. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they got a bow hunter class. There's a bow hunter class absolutely. so you're shooting against people with – some a lot of guys will still be shooting. Not a lot of guys on the national level. A lot of guys, but um, local and regional, state level, um, most guys are just shooting their right. own bows. You know, and the other one too is I think one of the most popular ones around, and I think this is even I know internationally it is for sure is bear bow. Yeah, and there's oh, yeah. a lot of side that jackpot is a, dude, uh, the, added money in the bear bow. There's class. a ton. I th- actually, you know, we had listened to Greg's podcast today, which yeah. is kind of a little bit of our inspiration for talking about indoor yeah. stuff, but. Uh, I think it was a podcast he did with Daryl Hunt, but he was talking about how competitive that barebow class oh, it's is. Crazy! If you go on Lancaster's website and look up the the barebow division, you can watch some of their older video, the older videos. The barebow uh, shoot up, oh yeah, is more viewed than the men's championship. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, it is absolutely electric to watch those guys shoot. It's one of the most entertaining divisions out there. Oh, it's crazy. So, folks, you got to understand, this is a a guy, a gal, shooting a bow with nothing on it. It's just a recurve. A recurve bow. Recurve, no sights. It's string, tab, and arrow, and bow, and that's Mm -hmm. it. It's and how the they hit the shoot, scores they shoot the scores is they phenomenal. Shoot crazy. Yeah, you're talking about pure instinctive shooting, yeah. and it's it's it, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I got to shoot right behind them this year at Outdoor Nationals. Um, I was very fortunate to be able to sit there and, and between ends when I wasn't shooting, watch the barebow guys shoot. And dude, the guys that are good at that. Oh are yeah, like uh, uh, I shot yeah, like next I, to Demmer. John Demmer's about the only guy I know because I know him personally from. Uh, shooting a little bit in Michigan where he's from but yeah. um and working with him in Carbon Express but man dude it's insane watching those guys shoot no, I, it blows my mind it's, I mean I shoot they're some savants I shoot archery. some traditional and my dad shoots exclusively traditional archery and I dude, I could I could hit I Philip one of uh yeah. our other owners here he yeah. always likes to talk about uh his his bow is always shooting MOE men of the velk yes. and uh for me I'm always shooting MOD with my <laughs> with my longbow, it's a minute of deer. Yes. But I mean, they're thrown down. I mean, why did John shoot in? I think John is John's always kind of Who, been Denver? dominant. He's, he's always been really dominant. I think he's one of the best in the world. If oh, not, 100%. If not the best in the world. He's but shooting like a Vegas face indoors. He's shooting like mid 280s, yeah. 290. Yeah. It might be more now. I might be, I might be throwing him under the bus. Most amateurs but it is in crazy. open. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. He's crazy. 
but yeah, try to get into it. And I'll tell you the other thing, you know, to close it out a little bit, but also, you know, kids, I'm telling you, Mm -hmm. Vegas, um, and even your local shooters, uh, shoots that you'll have in your local state, the kids' classes are humongous. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're growing exponentially. And you know what? I, I, and that's why, you know, topic for another day but we hear this all the time and i hear it from my manufacturers a lot the industry's down the industry's down and i tell you looking at you know asa and ibo and uh, the indoor events and uh, usa archery especially you know i i've been in this for 40 almost 40 some years and i've watched it where we've had you know let's say maybe four to five bales of kids and then yeah. 70 to 80 bales of adults now there are probably close to 60, 50, 60 bells of kids yeah. and 40 the bells last, of adults. The last four or five years at Indoor Nationals for the NFAA, uh, now they've dedicated an entirely separate room, room just for the youth division. Yeah. And just for the, like when I say youth, I mean 10-yard youth division. Right, exactly. So they always talked about the senior division being the fastest growing. That, no. that, cub, that cub class and the youth classes have got it's, to be... Pushing that yeah. number two. I mean, they've got it. They are blowing up, which well, is awesome. I think, I think Hollywood. I, I think Hollywood's helped with that for sure. And I remember we talked about this the other day at the. I think somebody at the gym was talking to me about it. And you know, I had read a, a, a article in USA Today. I think it was two years ago. And for the first time, I think in athletic history, um, and it was right after the Hunger Games movie yep, came out, and after Brave came after out, that. it was it archery overtook Little League baseball mm-hmm. in child attendance worldwide. Archer, and I'm going to tell you, Little League Baseball it's owns huge. youth in athletics. 2016, yeah. archery was the highest other archery was the highest streamed sport uh, on YouTube. Well, highest streamed sport for the Olympics. For the Olympics, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, more people like watch that of those events. Right. As Correct. far as streaming, I don't know what the official numbers are because right. obviously, like they highlight, you know, swimming and uh, track, track and some of the other yeah. some of the other big summer Ice sports, skating, but. Yeah. Um, I know for streaming, it is definitely the longest. We're approaching like an hour and a half here, Jason's saying, yeah, so I think yeah. we're going to... Oh, that's okay. No, but it's seriously, so get your kids out. If you haven't gotten to archery, get your kids out. I mean, there's so many avenues right now mm-hmm. for kids, yeah, and I good. think it's huge. Um, I'm excited for the future. I mean, I'm definitely on the downside of this at my age, but, you know, Bridger is going to be on the upswing. And- Nonsense. You, you're actually... In, in a perfect spot because you just moved on to a, a new division. So you're just starting a new division of your age. We're Guys, not, don't, we're don't, not, not going to talk about that. Don't let age dictate your uh, your involvement into archery. Go out and have fun. Compete against everybody. And, and just enjoy it and yeah, share it. Absolutely. So listen, uh, once again, let's make sure, keep your um, your comments rolling in. We'd love to hear them. Talk yeah, about, you know, what we're doing, if we're doing it right. Um, bring in your ideas. We've actually got a whiteboard behind us, and we're kind of logging in all the ideas. So they're not falling on deaf ears. I know at some point in the future we're going to be talking about uh, beginner's archery. Um, that'll be a good one. We've got arrow builds. That's going to be maybe two segments. <laughs> it's going to be huge. Um, practice routines and prep for 3D. We've talked a little bit about that now with the indoor archery. We'll, we'll be getting into that when 3D season starts to roll around, which actually is right around the corner. Um, you know, I had a guy approach us about, you know, the fear of shooting 3D tournaments because you see the jerseys everywhere and the long bars, and it's intimidating to some of these guys, especially in the bow hunter class, and we're going to be touching base on that. And... 
There's two we'll, more up there which we'll, I won't talk we can, about yet. We can deal with them later. We'll deal too. with them later, but they're going to be hot, hot, very polarizing topics, and they will be fun to listen to because Lord knows I've got a lot of, a lot of personal a lot of opinions. opinions on that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think Scott Bridger asked if, you know, as we get rolling along, we're, we're looking at uh, having some guests on the show. So please. Yeah, we're in the process of doing that now. By all means, if you guys have any ideas of who you want to hear, on our on our show, you know, drop a comment, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and literally ask us absolutely anything. Right. I mean, within reason. But like well no, anything. Know, we like talking about yeah. anything. And we'll filter that stuff if we need to if it gets kind of risky. Ask anything, go for but it. But ask anything, go for it. You no, know, we are blessed. We got Bridger Deaton over here. I mean, as a professional archer, he is connected with a lot of the people out there on the tour. Um, I've been in it long enough. I know some of the older guys, and I'm still befriended with a lot of the ar- pro archers myself. And then J- Jason, in the short tenure he has, is I just have no filter and have no qualms <laughs> reaching out to people. Exactly. He, if he can get the number or the email, he's going to talk to them. So that's a good thing. So yeah, definitely. Let's just uh, keep things rolling. We're hoping you guys are enjoying this content, and we will keep providing it as long as you're listening. So that's it for me, Bridger. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for joining us. The more we do, the better we get, and the more we hear from you guys, the better we're going to do. So, yeah. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Set you save a dime a day and build a